Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, a podcast for readers who want something strange and exciting and writers who need something new. If you want to support this podcast, please consider buying my new book, The National Gallery. I'm extremely proud of this book because it may be my best book, and it is certainly my most personal and heartfelt book. But just because I say it's heartfelt doesn't mean it isn't full of weirdness, like sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and elegies for my dead iPhone. Uh, For a limited time, if you buy a copy of the National Gallery directly from me, I will sign it, and I will also send you a signed copy of my previous book, The Politics of Knives, for no additional cost. So you can order the book and get your free book uh, with it at thenationalgallery.ca. That's thenationalgallery.ca. I'm also excited because it is my 10-year anniversary as an author. My first book, Ex Machina, was published in October 2009, and to celebrate, uh, now that it is 2019, as I record this, I've made Ex Machina available as an ebook for the first time. It was never available as an ebook previously, uh, and I'm giving that ebook away for free at jonathanball.com/freebook. So, uh, go to jonathanball.com/freebook, and you can sign up, uh, get all my ex- exciting news uh, when it's you know exciting and new uh, and other free resources that I'll just you know send you as I create them uh, plus a free book um, and again you can go to the nationalgallery.ca uh, if you want to find out more about my new book uh, and get a free uh, book as well when you order that so three two free books and a paid book <laughs> available to you in any case um Let's get into the show. Before we begin, just a quick note that the podcast is going on a holiday hiatus. So this will be the last podcast of 2019, but I'll be back in 2020 with uh, some really great guests, some really you know interesting, strange, and new topics, and a complete overhaul of a lot of the things that I'm doing and some exciting announcements. So uh, if you're not already uh, following me on my newsletter, uh, which you know has been a little inactive, but is going to be you know very active again soon. Uh, go to jonathanball.com and sign up uh, to my newsletter. All you have to do is, you know, when their form pops up, ask for your email. You put your email in. Uh, for doing that as a thank you, I'll send you a f- copy of my first book free. Uh, Ex Machina for free. Uh, if you go to writingwrongway.com, you can also uh, you know do the same thing, but instead get a uh, ebook on how to construct a writing schedule that's going to work for you. Something that we're going to talk about a little bit in this episode. Um, but we'll be back in 2020 again with you know some exciting new content uh, and lots of cool stuff happening in 2020. I've been really you know, kind of grinding behind the scenes on a lot of projects that, you know, unless you're on my Patreon, you won't necessarily be aware of. Um, but, you know, I'm going to sort of start to come to fruition uh, in 2020. So 2020 is going to be a big and exciting year uh, here at, you know, Martian Embassy Media, which is me in this mug. I got a mug with the logo on it. That's the company. Uh, Headquarters. This mug, wherever I put this mug down, is my company headquarters. You know, and I am the company. So, uh, you know, it, it's small scale, but there's some big stuff coming down the pipe. Now, uh, the other thing I just want to quickly note is that if you go to JonathanBall.com, or sorry, 
patreon.com slash Jonathan Ball. So patreon.com slash Jonathan Ball. You know, you can support this podcast and a lot of the other, you know, interesting stuff that is going to be coming down the pipe. Uh, But regardless, you know, keep in touch uh, with subscribing to this podcast. Maybe sign up for the newsletter if you're not already sent up for it. That's where you're going to, you know, kind of get the, you know, real inside scoop is on the Patreon, the newsletter. But uh, regardless of all of that, um, there's lots of fun, uh, exciting podcast stuff coming. I'm really uh, uh, excited for 2020 and all the, you know, cool things that, uh, you know, I've been talking to different people about. You know, these kind of secret behind-the-scenes meetings, but I will announce more of that stuff next year. Uh, so have a happy holidays, have a happy new year. Um, go back and check out some of the older episodes if you haven't, you know, already. This is you know, closing in on episode 60, so there's lots of stuff uh, that's been coming out, and you may, you know, want to catch up on if you're new to the podcast. Uh, do me a favor and recommend this podcast to people, um, and just you know, keep being you and keep writing the wrong so this is part two of my interview with nathan duick uh, if you go back to last week's podcast you can listen to part one if you missed it um writing the wrong again has you know that episode and this one uh this is part two go back and listen to part one if you haven't already uh welcome way nathan duick Another important thing that I do that I would recommend if people can manage it and they can't always do it. But like one thing I started doing is like I, I realized there were certain things where I needed like longer blocks of time. Like I just wasn't getting the work that I needed to get done in a certain uh, in the quantity I needed to get it done. Sure. The way that you're describing. Like I, so I was doing what you were doing and it was working fine, except it was just too slow. And like, yep. Again, keep in mind that I'm looking in a situation where because I was staying home with the kids a certain you know, amount of the time, or if I didn't stay home with them, I was going to have to find like paid arrangements and stuff. Um, it mm-hmm. kind of was getting to the point where it was not worth it to take work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, if I had to leave the house to take the job, I was losing money. Yep. Uh, so, but then if I was at home, I still had to make money. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't, but I also didn't want to be like, you know, type on the computer while my kid was like in the other room. You know what I mean? Like, like that wasn't going to work either. So true. I had to like figure out ways to, to make things work. And one of the sort of ways that I managed to, but one thing was like, as you were talking about, like, you know, when, you know, me and my wife were both home, say, you know, there were like maybe blocks of time she could take the kids and then I could maybe go work. Well, what I found was the problem then was I'm still in the house. And so yep. even though I'm working, in their minds, I'm not necessarily working. Like, it's very sure. easy for them to interrupt me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh, I hear you. And on one, so I was getting very upset at them interrupting me during, like, these times where I'd prearranged that I would have the time to work. But at the same time, I was aware that it was somewhat unreasonable for me to expect to be in the house and not interrupted. You know, like just that, you know, they're in the house. Of course, they're going to interrupt me. Like I can't, um, you know, and even if they weren't trying to, like the noise would interrupt me, say, or, or, or in some ways, like it's not unreasonable for them from, it it was unreasonable for, unreasonable for me to pretend that they could pretend I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I started doing was just leaving the house, like if, you know, a certain amount of times, like right now is, it's a Monday, like. Uh, normally, uh, my wife has Mondays off work, 
And so she, nor, what I kind of started to arrange with her is like, I'm just going to leave the house all day Monday. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. I left the house at like eight in the morning and I'll, I won't go back till like 10 at, at night. Um, and just that whole time I'm in a studio downtown. I like rent the studio out part time just so I could leave the house and like sit here and work all day. Sure. And if I've got a meeting, I'll arrange it on this Monday because otherwise I just don't have the ability to meet with people. Uh, I don't have, I just, you know, and, and it's a bit of a necessity, it's a necessity for me in so far as like being productive and getting work done. And then like, you know, other times, so in some evenings I'll come here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and other times like I won't and I'll just be home doing, you know, dad stuff or whatever. But, um, I found like, you know, I mean, I kind of go to an extreme with it. It's like, if I'm going to be out of the house for two hours, I might as well be out of the house for 14 hours, True. you know, on some days and other days it's like, you know, two hours is fine. But like, it, <laughs> I just try to t- try to uh, like really kind of as much as possible plan the week, the time in advance. Like I try to plan a whole week of time in advance as if I can. And then I try to like stick to that schedule as much as possible, which, you know, you never can really do. Sure. Um, but I try to do it. And then, as well, I tried to like um, really have as much as possible these kind of hard boundaries between when I'm working and not working. So, like, if I'm here, sure. I try to just be here and working. Uh, and if I'm not here, um, I try to forget about work. And so, like, it's as close as I come to having an office, although I'm not how, like. How long it. is the, the commute from your house to the well, studio? It's Winnipeg, right? So, it's like half an hour. Everything's half an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, Again, like this is really like these other guys. There's like it's like these comic artists and illust- and writers and uh, illustrators. Like they're they're guys who kind of make their money primarily as illustrators. And but they also like the one guy is also a writer. He's got like two three books coming out next year. But they're like full time artists. These guys and they just have this studio. But I'm you know friends with them and. Um, uh, I just kind of like have, you know, finagled my way in here like one or two nights a week kind of thing. Um, and I just like, I literally just pay them like, like a a rent to like come in here now and again, like, and, Mm -hmm. um, it's great, you know, because even though it costs me a bit of money, like I get way more done when I'm here because I can, I can focus. Um, and and then I'll also, like I say, do things in blocks. Like, I, you know, I'll come in here and I'll, you know, just, I can sit here and work and mark papers for four hours straight or work on like, you know, my novel for like three hours straight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that three hours straight is worth, um, it's the same as like five hours broken up. You know what I mean? Sure. So if you can only get the five hours broken up, you know, then I think that's what you should do. But like, if you can manage to like block it at all, it's, it helps quite a lot, but I mean, it depends, right? Um, it depends on like, I wasn't able to do this, uh, a while ago. I was much more fractured. So now, now I've got a little bit more like uh, the ability to have blocks like tomorrow morning, both my kids will be at school for like a three hour period. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be like, you know, able to do something in that three hour period. Um, normally like, uh, but then like, I, I rarely get that, you know, like I, I get a little bit more than I used to. And like, you know, as time goes on, I'll maybe get a bit more of that kind of ability to be a little less fractured. Um, but it's hard, you know, as you well know, like it's just a fractured, you just have to get used to being able to work in a fractured way. 
<laughs> you know, people keep telling me that when uh, the children are both in school, I'll have more time. And I don't understand how that's going to happen. I like to believe it's true, but I don't see that as being actual fact. <laughs> I don't know, man. As they get older, though, one thing you can do is incorporate them into your writing life yep. in a more, you know, interesting way. Like I was very lucky that my daughter was interested in writing. Like me sure. and her are very similar, and we have a lot of shared interests. And so, one th- like so with the National Gallery, one of th- like there's a lot of poems in that book that are literally straight up mention Jesse and talk about her because yep. it's I actually, actually very endearing. <laughs> well, when I was writing a lot of it, was she was you know kind of in like she was right in the midst of like the teen years. Like she's turning 20 now, but like when I was writing a lot of that book, she was around like 15, 16, you know, 15, 16, 17 was kind of the period when I was mainly working on the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, especially like around 16, 17, like there was a lot of kind of drama going on in, in all of our lives, which I won't get into, but one of, but she's always just going through normal, like teen life, teen drama stuff so Mm -hmm. at that age in particular there there's sort of a thing that the kids do which you know me and her always got along very well and we're you know very you know like we just kind of are in sync in a lot of ways personality wise and you know we you know we have a good relationship you know uh, it's you still have like um in that age period particularly you know, there's that that whole issue of like, you know, the kid wants to kind of spend time with you, but they don't want to want to spend time with you. Yeah. <laughs> and they're also like going through their own things and they don't necessarily want to tell their dad everything. You know what I mean? Uh, especially and then, you know, she you know, having a daughter introduces a whole other dynamic uh, to it as well. Like, you know, uh, but one thing I found the what was helpful with the writing is like I would. Uh, I started using the book as a way to, where, like, I would arrange for her and me to get together where I was, would, like, she was going to help me on the book, with the book. And so I would, like, get her to, like, read things and, like, give me, like, reactions or feedback or make, like, notes. Like, she got really into, like, giving me feedback and editing uh, responses. And initially I just did it because it was kind of like a period where she... I just needed a way that we could hang out and it wasn't mm-hmm. like she didn't have to talk to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like sure. she could, you know, where she could like comfortably like be with me and not necessarily be talking to me if she didn't feel like talking to me, but still like feel like, you know, we, we like we just like could like sit beside each other and like, you know, like it was just like a nice thing where we could kind of be together but also she didn't have to really participate in being there <laughs> if she didn't want to or wasn't in the mood that's, or or just had just, her own you know what i mean like that's like just way some to, father-daughter time you you sit down on the couch you hand her your manuscript and then you turn on texas chainsaw massacre you know yeah yeah traditional yeah. not quite but, but very much like that way of like it's a like a way to participate in like I, doing things I, together, but it's a very low pressure, you know, and like, and she, she got really into it, you know, in a way I didn't quite expect. And she was, you know, and so like, it, it, anyway, the point though is one things you can do as they get older is you can kind of more fully like engage with them in, around creative writing. Like, especially in this case, she wanted to learn things about creative writing. She was wondering, she had questions about like writing. She was taking like creative writing in her own, um, 
like high school, she was doing like some creative writing in her classes and stuff. And so it was just like on one hand, a way to teach her some stuff that she wanted to learn, but also on the other hand, like just a way to get her like, you know, just, just something she could do with me that wasn't necessarily like high emotions. You know, I, I regret the op- I had the opportunity to say hi to her when I was in Winnipeg. Oh yeah. And I regret not taking that chance just because I thought what kind of uh, young woman would be interested in saying hi to a creepy old man? But now I should have just said <laughs> hi. So so by lieu of saying that hi Jesse, I hope things are going well for you. Well, she was are very you- busy that at the restaurant that day, but like <laughs> are yeah, you, like are you- is she going to? You don't have to answer this question. It's kind of personal. But is she, is she going to school now? Is she? Yeah, she's in University of Manitoba right now. And so, oh, really? She, uh, she just last year she did Stuart Sinclair's creative writing class, and she actually um, they gave her like a creative writing scholarship award, and she was she's very proud of that. And well, uh, right now she's just doing like her psych classes, though. But yeah, she's kind of she's in university. She, every once in a while, she's on this podcast, but she hasn't been for a little while. But, <laughs> I, um, so, so she hasn't learned the lessons of her old man, and she's decided she's going. She's to very follow. conflicted about the writing. She, she's <laughs> you know she she she's very interested in it, and she's got like a like the journal. Well, it's a nice kind of weird circularity in some ways, like because I started. Uh, a little weird zine when we were at the University of Manitoba there. I remember it. I still have copies. Well, that morphed and name changed, and over the years it morphed and became what's called now the Arts Tribune, which is the literary journal that kind of comes out of there. And it it sounds like she's going to have a poem now in the arts, you know, the new version of that, the much more professional, you know, literary journal version of what I had started back in the day. So Mm -hmm. she's kind of on one hand like... I don't know. She's she, she's very um, interested in writing and is very good at it. She has a lot more talent than I ever had, but at the same time, you know, she's very leery of it. <laughs> I think that's that's a healthy leer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because just flashing back to our time. So, in case the audience is trying to follow along, I can't imagine how you're interested in this discussion right now. But <laughs> we, but but we have gone. So Jonathan and I have gone back to 1998 as we established previously. And I recall when you were writing for the Manitoban that you were interested in publishing some of my earliest poems in the Manitoban. Did which I? is so kind of you. And, I don't uh, remember. They, yeah, I actually have, I was I have a copy of it uh, in in uh, my very pathetic archives that are just begging to burn. But I have a copy downstairs, and one of the things you promised me as a youngster was that one day you're going to introduce me to Marcel Zama, who at that point oh, was I? publishing. Yeah, did you meet Marcel? Did I did. You ever have- Doggone it. I, I don't know Marcel so well. desperately to meet that guy. <laughs> you know, I, I, here's the funny thing about it, Marcel. So, I mean, I knew a bunch of guys who knew him uh, well, but I didn't sure. know him super well. But one time I was like, went to a movie and I was hanging out talking to, you know, this dude after this movie. I was like talking to some friend and like another friend. And there was like this guy there. And I was like talking to him for 20, 30 minutes before I realized it was Marcel Zama. <laughs> he was talking about some magazine. He's like, yeah, you know, I did this photo shoot with this magazine. They were doing this. I'm like, photo shoot for magazine. And I'm like, what the fuck do you do? <laughs> and anyway, it got, at one point, I'm like, wait a second. I go, are you Marcel Zama? He's like, yeah. I'm like, ah. Oh. He's like, I'm like, I didn't have a clue. I was talking to him for like 20 minutes. And I didn't know. 
I'm still mildly obsessed with him and have a couple of his original works because I'm an art collector and fancy. You have original works by him? Yeah, I do. I got them in Winnipeg uh, back in the day when we were both students and I decided to forego food for a little while so I could buy some of this stuff. Wow. If I was smart, that's what I would have done. It's kind of impressive. Like I walk by this stuff in my home here and I'm thinking, wow, this stuff still holds up. This is excellent work. I'm proud that I own it. Anyway, then. But yeah, I don't really know him. I just met him a couple of times. I, then for the listeners who are following along, we we both went to the University of Calgary to pursue uh, more education because you just can never get enough. <laughs> and and this is this is like during the period I alluded to earlier where I wasn't writing. And I ran across we, you and I uh, just crossed paths momentarily at a uh, at a Safeway in in uh, Signal Hill, I think. And you asked me what I was writing, and I was too ashamed to say that I wasn't writing. And the very fact that you were interested in, in, in what I was writing, and, and I took it as such encouragement. So I went home that day and, and, of course, had a cry. But then I started working on something that eventually became the next book I published. It, it was almost the same time as you just oh, wow. simply asking what I was working on. So indirectly, I, I really owe you a huge debt of gratitude for that. Not the, not the Tarantino thing from before because we were actually <laughs> were two young jerk-offs, but <laughs> – but simply inquiring, just being a nice person and asking about writing helped nudge me along the path to return to writing. Uh, so you didn't hang, you didn't do me any favors. I never got a chance to shake Marcel Zama's hand, but I did get to go home and start writing poems again. So uh, thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> oh, well, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, one of the things that you had done, although you probably discounted, is like Nathan was one of the... Uh, out of my cohort, one of the first people who, you know, very quickly it seemed to the rest of us, you know, published a book, uh, yeah. and and you know, and a quite a quite a good uh, you know. I would book not as say well. that. <laughs> but King's Mirror, I remember, uh, you know, I felt very far behind you because I, I when did that book come out again. Uh, that book came out when I was twenty four, so it would have been two thousand and four. So two thousand four, you know, your first book comes out mine first book came out in 2009 so i you know five years later and i felt very you know behind the oh. the nathan <laughs> times <laughs> i'll tell you though uh, like in terms of first book publication your first books which were both published like almost simultaneously are miles ahead of the nonsense that i published as a very desperately alone, twenty-three-year-old. So, uh, well, I'm, but I'm sorry to hear you felt behind, but you were way, way further ahead than you actually thought you were. Well, <clears throat> w- regardless of you know uh, taste and who thinks what books better, uh, the point <laughs> is that um, it, your book was a real kind of inspiration for me in that sense. Like I, I one, on one hand, I felt a kind of healthy competitiveness with it, with oh, yeah, your book. Sure. <laughs> but on the other hand, like, you know, I just thought it was a really good book and I really liked it a lot. And I thought, you know, um, I don't know. I felt like it was doing certain things that, uh, you know, guys like cooling Croach were doing at the time, but then kind of amping it up into a kind of a new, interesting direction. And I thought, you know, I kind of wanted to do that, uh, same idea like like I feel like ex- my first book is in many ways kind of in that wheelhouse of 
where your book is, I think like on the surface, they don't look the same at all. Uh, and you, I think people would be hard pressed to see a connection between the two, but I, I feel they're kind of very much coming out of the same, um, ground in, 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 in or the same soil. Oh, and, you, and, you know, I was very much me. thinking about your book and kind of trying to, you know, think of like, how do, can I do like a long poem and that sort of thing? And like, um, you know, I was very influenced by that book at, at the time in particular. You know, it's interesting because uh, you don't have to convince me that, that we were working on the same page. It doesn't make, of course, we were educated by the same people. We were, mm. we were reading the same literature while we were doing our undergraduates. Uh, but, but reading, uh, you're talking about Ex Machina now, yeah. right? Yeah. Reading Ex Machina, uh, I felt that this was a step up from the, the long poem form that we were steeped in. And I thought that was just such a smart move to, to make it into a long kind of chain poem. Some of the chains didn't go anywhere. I thought that was also mm. so clever. Uh, uh, yeah. So in that sense, like it's flattering for you to say that, that it was that my silly twenty-three-year-old uh, book was good. But well, also, I, I thought you you really it, pushed it further. It has a well. The reason why I pushed it further, though, <laughs> is uh, and I don't mean further in like in terms of it being better than your book, but I mean, but I mean specifically, like I was looking well, at your book. I'll say it's better. But I was looking at you. I was doing stuff very similar to what you were doing at the time. I was actually doing writing a book called Apocrypha with a K, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very much like in the wheelhouse of what you were doing, but with more of even more of a biblical connection and more of like a kind of coolie slash meets croach, but a little bit more formal mm-hmm. uh, kind of approach. So it was very much. I was writing very much the kind of stuff that you were writing and doing very much the kind of thing that you were doing in Kingsmere with different subject matter. But then when you put out Kingsmere, uh, I was, I looked at it and I was like, fucking Nathan, I'm like, this is a good book and it's doing a lot of the things I want to do, but it's doing, but like, now I can't do that. (laughs) So I thought, well, you know, I can't just come up with a book that's like this book. Um, I need to like find some new place to go. And I, in, in a weird, uh, you know, cause I really did like your book. Uh, but I also felt like, you know, uh, yeah, we're right coming out of the same soil in many respects. And so I don't want to be just be like writing a book. That's like an, a, a lesser version of Kingsmere. I need to like find a new way to push this stuff into a different direction. Uh, totally and so that's agree. very much where I, what I, so like Ex Machina was really a direct, um, it, it really directly came out of like th- trying to think through what you were doing and what Marvin Francis was doing and a couple True. other people and like, how can I kind of move in a different direction, but have a lot of the same sort of, you know, stuff, you know, behind me in a, in terms of like pushing, like, like standing on the shoulders of the same sort of giants in a way, but kind of like going in my own direction that wasn't like where you guys were kind of going because I was kind of seeing, you know, this is my peer group and this is my cohort and stuff. Although I think probably nobody looking at my book because of the time period difference and because of, um, you know, just, it's, it just, I think it just doesn't seem as connected to that stuff because I was really specifically moving away from it. But, you know, but it wasn't because it, I disliked it. It was because I thought you guys were kind of locking it down a little bit more fully than like I could. Uh, and I was really kind of trying to find my own voice in that mix. Um, it's interesting you mentioned this. And I just want to make a, like, since you brought up Marvin Francis, yeah. I want I want to mention that 
of course I want you to read uh, my book. I want everybody who's listening to my voice right now to pick up a copy of a very special episode and cherish it in, near their heart. But but more importantly, you should absolutely search out uh, City Treaty by Marvin Francis. I happened to have been there yeah. when he published it, and, and I got to see some of the drafts before the final publication because I was also kind of messing around at the publishing house then. And it's astounding. It, it still it still speaks to me. I think that book was well ahead of its time, and and the fact that I had Marvin Francis in my life it means the the world to me to this day. Marvin Francis took me out for for lunch when he heard that I was publishing my first book at, at twenty three. Oh wow! And he told me, you know, Nathan, you have this way about you. And he said, uh, what you have to do if you want to be a writer is you just have to. Tell yourself you belong there, and I said, mm. Marvin, I, I don't. I certainly don't belong there. And he's like, Well, no one has to know that. You just have to tell <laughs> yourself. And I tell myself this all the time. Uh, the words that Marvin mm. bestowed to me, that you know what, I, just tell yourself you belong there, and you're going to fit in. It's it's just a matter of time. And the real bummer about it all is that I didn't know how uh, important those words were or how much our time mattered because I didn't realize that Marvin's time on Earth was limited, like he was running with the clock at that period. So yeah. here it is. This That's is my true. full-throated endorsement. Pick up CD, City Treaty by uh, Marvin Francis. Uh, read it. Hand it to a friend. Review it online. <laughs> it's legit. And I think that it's something that we could all be enjoying right now. I, I, I mean, this is ended in kind of a weird space, but like I I'm absolutely really I this wholeheartedly endorse like City Treaty. And, it, you know, I, it really is like City Treaty and your book Kingsmere were two of the big books where like I really felt like, you know, these guys have uh, really done something here. And, you know, I'm, I've, I've got to really figure out what I'm doing because it's the stuff I'm working on is not. It's not up to snuff, uh, and you know, like I, 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 I it, it, and Francis was just as a weird, like, sort of side note. Francis is the only author I ever met who tried to talk me out of buying his book. I tried to like <laughs> buy his book from him, like you know, like Marvin, like you know, I heard you got this book out. You know, can I get a copy from him? He's like, he's like, no, you don't want to buy copies. Like, just go to the library. They have the library, <laughs> and like he actually tried to like talk me out of buying his book, but I like went and bought it, and you know, I, I and you know, gone to sign it for me and stuff anyway. And and yeah, he was a great guy and uh, really super talented. And that city treaty is a really. Uh, excellent and an underappreciated book um and just kind of to jump back to the kind of topic I, I didn't for mean a to second. derail you but yeah I, I, no but, but just <laughs> to jump back to the topic for a second like uh you know I, those relationships uh, that you have in your life uh, with other writers you know are really significant to your writing like the relationships of mm-hmm. course with your children i think you know, there's significant relationships that, of course, one can write about, but there is, like, as they grow especially, like, there's a way that you can kind of bring them into the fold of that a little bit. Uh, and, you know, if they're interested in writing, of course, it's easier, <laughs> you know? Yep. But even if they're not, like, it's, you know, you can kind of, like, use the, uh, find ways to kind of include them, uh, you know, and make it less of a competition between, like, your life and your writing. I find, like, Maybe my last sort of tip uh, in terms of like trying to 
fit writing and family together is just to try to like find any place like sometimes you really just have to separate them like I'll literally like leave the house and go to a studio rather than and pay to be there rather than um you know or, or even go to a coffee shop like I wrote all of uh John Pace's crime wave in a coffee shop um rather than say staying at home where my kids can come up and just start talking to me. Um, sometimes you just have to separate it as much as, and find like artificial ways to like, you know, leave, uh, you know, and really disconnect the two. But other times it, it, it can be useful. Just think a bit more fully about how can you, you know, fold these two things in together. So like maybe, you know, if you're going to write about TV, you could watch TV with your kid and then go write a poem about it, you know, as a really simple example, or, you know, if, get your daughter to edit your poems like I did. Jessie like overhauled that book. She made me change which poem was first. I originally had the um uh is time for Canadian poem first poem first and she made yep. me she's like that's not a good poem for your first poem. Who wants to open a book and say, "Oh, it's time for Canadian poem." I'd close the book. <laughs> <laughs> if it was time for a Canadian poem. Don't don't hand her my book, okay? Yeah, but you, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, uh, she really, like, had really specific and useful feedback. But even if the kid doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to, like, try to include them in the thing if they're older. Your kid's a little young for that. But, like, you know, uh, I, I think that sometimes it just takes a little bit of extra, like, thinking in ter- through, like, well, how can the – you know, writing and the family connect more. And other times you just want to impose a boundary. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, we live in a, a small community here. Uh, we're, we're about four hours uh, to the, to the, to the West of Calgary. But I keep thinking to myself, whenever uh, we, whenever writers visit the home or, or uh, we have a chance to go to events and such, my kids are going to have the most interesting uncles and aunts of all. Because they're going to have the opportunity to meet writers and hopefully benefit from that experience, not just being intimidated by the fact that they have brilliant people in their lives, but also to understand that these are people who do writing. And writing means you sit down and sometimes you're wearing pants and sometimes you're not wearing pants, but you're still sitting down and you're still doing the work. They won't have the romanticized uh, like notions of geniuses perched under trees, uh, remembering days of yore kind of things stuck in their heads. So in that sense, I'm justifying my obsession with writing by saying it's for the kids' benefit. It'll make them good people. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it just is useful to think, even on a simplest, simple level, you know, if the kid's interested in that kind of thing, like, you know, it's exciting for them to meet a writer sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, uh, or just like, or, or for it to not be exciting, but they're just like a normal thing. Like, you know, Jesse growing up like I remember there was it was interesting always to think like sometimes she'd meet people and it's like whatever another writer and other times she'd be like oh my god <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's just like you know even if they are sort of find it like normal and they don't have like the genius the romantic notions really like grip hard and take hold like she, because it, you know, the culture just has those romantic notions sure. and, and I think it like you I believe it, it helps to kind of like try to break them a bit because you know just to, for them to see writing as a thing they could do and which is possible for them even if they don't want to do it um just the idea that they could do it or like it's there's craft involved it's just a thing mm-hmm. they could sit down and learn i think it just makes for you know i don't know there's like an empowerment to it that i never 
that I always, you know, wish that I could have had when I was younger. Like it was very mystical and mystifying for me. And cause I didn't know any writers. I grew up in a really small town where there was me too. Not, nobody, you know? Yeah. Like, so it was just very, um, alienating, uh, in different ways. And like, that was before the internet, as we say, but, um, it's you know, a little different I, now, but I think it's, you know, there's just ways, as you say, there's just ways like, you know, I think so often we kind of, we can fall in the trap of thinking the writing and the, you know, other things are at odds when sometimes they're not, like they just can be integrated in some way. I, I, I want to ask a question. The, the, the conversation's winding down, but I want to ask mm-hmm. a question about when you are in the studio and you're sitting down to do your work and, and it is work. I mean, it's labor. Mm-hmm. Do you do the Jonathan Franzen thing and stick hot glue gun into the, uh, the side of your computer so you can't access the internet or do you write with the internet on? I should, but I don't. I, sometimes I, if I'm, if I'm having a hard time focusing though, I'll just turn the internet off. Yeah. It is a good idea. Franzen is right, and that's how people should write. But it's hard to do, and you know, uh, I just, you know, I, I'm not in the habit of doing it. Um, and like, if there's something I like, but but he's right. Like that's a hundred percent. I hate to say it because I'm not a big Jonathan Franzen fan. That a hundred percent is the way you should uh, approach writing a draft. You should just, especially if you don't have like a lot of time. You should just call any distraction. If you have to look something up online, like like I'll like go to look up a word maybe or like mm-hmm. the spelling of something or I'll go to check a fact. And of course, very quickly you get off track and you don't come back. Like, and they've done, it's science. They've done studies into it. Like if you are multitasking, it's not possible for your brain to do it. Um, and you just do task switching and then, you know, it's like getting interrupted. Like if somebody interrupts you, you know, if you're sitting in your cubicle, it takes somebody, person like, you know, an average of like 15 to 30 minutes, somewhere in there, I forget what it is to get back on the task. Like, so if you yeah. only got, and, and the fact is like, if you only got an hour or whatever it is, like, you know, you should just call distractions as much as possible. So I, I, I will forget to do it <laughs> basically is what it boils down to. Uh, but if I catch myself getting distracted, I'll start like I'll like turn the internet off. If I catch myself looking things up, but sometimes I just don't catch myself. I'm just doing it. It's interesting too because I I talk a good game about being disciplined and rigorous, and then I leave the internet on while I write, and it's because I find that I can kind of use it to fish for really good words that I didn't think of originally. But that of course takes time. So then I'm I'm going to be focusing on one word or turn a phrase or even a line. And I'm going to be using the internet like as a phishing uh, device and trying to reel in something great, but but then I'm risking actually get doing anything at all. So I should be more. I can't imagine I, this is true. This applies in no other aspect of my life. But I should be more like Franzen in this way, and just be rigorous and decide that the internet's not helping me. I'm saying this now, but I'm immediately going to disregard what I just said a second later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not as good at it as I should be, but I, I find every time I convince myself, oh, no, it's it's smart to go look up something online right now, I'm always wrong. And I yeah. should just write it down on a piece of paper and make it, a, and I, I should just make a plan, like, in an hour I'll go do these things and make a list and then do the list. But I find myself falling in the trap of thinking I'm more disciplined than I am. 
You know, it's interesting too. I I just want to ask another question. I don't know why this came up in my brain, but you were mentioning something about your schedule, and we were talking extensively about scheduling. And then I wrote down vacation. Have you taken a vacation? Do you believe in taking vacations? You know, it depends what you call a vacation. <laughs> like, I'll just yep. take days off if that is if that makes sense. So, like, if I, like if I'm leaving town to go like visit family or something, I'll like just take like some of those days I'll just work while I'm traveling. And other mm-hmm. times I'll just say like I'm taking the day off, and I just will try as much as possible to not do any work. But I'm not great at taking time off because, um, but I've tried to get like better about it. Like what I'm trying to really consciously do because I, because I was so used to like trying to you know fit it in here, fit it in there. What I what I realized is it started to really fragment my attention, and it started to make I'm already like in my head too much, right? Um, and I. Find that like if I can kind of write consistently, I get out of my head a little bit because I'm kind of externalizing a lot of the stuff that's in the head. I can kind of have a clearer head, you know, around my family and friends and stuff. Um, but on the other hand, um, I, I I got too much in that habit of like it's always in my brain on some level, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to get better at uh, like taking time right off. So like what I'll do is I'll. I'll like try to plan like a couple of days in advance or like I'll try to take at least one or two days a week if possible where I just, I don't do any work at all. Um, but it's hard because one, my schedule is so crazy and crammed, but, uh, two, it's just like, I'm not, I'm a, you know, I can be a little workaholic with it if I don't catch myself. Not that I'm like, cause I, but I can be very lazy as well. It's just that like, I'm not great at turning it off. Um, easy, better at turning it on, um, but I'm trying to like practice turning it off. So instead of like taking a vacation, I'll take like I'll like pre-plan like days when I don't do any work if possible. And yeah. every time I catch myself sliding into it, I'll try to stop myself. It's interesting though. But I can't do long very, stretches because I can't afford to. Like I just can't afford to take the time you're, off. You're very productive though. Like the the amount that you produce, even if you're taking two days off a week, I am in awe. But I feel lazy. Does that make sense? Like, because to, to you, I look productive or to like somebody else, I look productive. But to me, I just have all these unfinished projects. Yeah, that's but also very true. I, I think I, like neither is correct. Like I'm, <laughs> like I'm more I mean, productive than some people. I'm less productive than other people. But like I think that for the amount of time I spend writing, I'm pretty productive because I try to, as much as possible, just have systems in place. It's like yeah. the, the number one like productivity sort of thing that has saved my life in terms of getting anything done with kids is like um, just having like systems, you know, whether maybe the system is just like, you know, you, you wake up in the morning at six and then you write till seven, you know, uh, like I was doing that for a while and like, you know, so it's like that's not a complicated system, but it like it's a system, right? You do yep. the same thing every time, and you get the predictable result. Um, and the more systems I have in place, and the more I kind of like have do fewer things in a day. This is why that free to focus book I really recommend because his core thing is like if you should just try to do less things. <laughs> and it sounds counterintuitive, but if you just do less things, but you focus on figuring out which things you should do and then you just try to not do everything as much as possible like uh 
you know, it, it, it's, it's really the more I kind of move into trying to do fewer things in a day, but spend a little bit more focused time on them and then like just shut myself off as much as possible. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it works better and better, but it's, but it's hard. I, I don't have, um, I'm not great at it, but I'm getting better at it. The reason I'm asking about vacation also is that I hate vacations. They terrify me. What am I going to do? I sit on my hands. I, a beach, a sandy beach sounds mm-hmm. like the worst place for me to be. Uh, but I also, I, my wife, like Sharon, keeps sounding like Borat. Sharon is very good about saying things like, you know, you're going to be better at what you do if you take some time off. And it takes me time off to take time off. Like I spend days of my vacation just moiling in my brain and then I can finally relax. This is not healthy. But then you have a great idea, right? Yeah, I do. And then I want to use that right away. Yeah. But this is not healthy, especially considering that we're going to have, we have children and, uh, and going on vacation is meaningful family time. And that is traditionally in our middle class lifestyle, what people do. This is the thing I keep saying to myself, I don't want to go on vacation because of class war, but at the same time, there's actually a meaningful reason to do things like go on vacation. So I'm trying to wrap my head around how I'm going to do this properly. This is the other great thing about the studio, honestly. Like when I come to the studio, like I, I joke about it because because like it's it sounds stupid, but like I have this mug, I put like a logo on this mug, and I like have two of these mugs. So like, there's one at home, and I got one at the studio, and like um, I try to like just have external like th- things, basically like triggers uh, for my behavior as much as possible. It's like I'm trying to like trick myself into being like <laughs> like if I have this mug on the desk, then I'm at work. And so if uh-huh. I'm at home and I'm working, I'll just like get the mug out and I'll put it down and like I'll have some coffee in it or whatever. Like, well, I'm at work with the mug. And then when I'm done work, I'll go wash the mug. And it sounds stupid, but like things like that was like, they, it's like a transition ritual. So I'm like transitioning mm-hmm. out of being at work and trying to like transition into like being a present father. Yeah. And so to do that, I'll like basically symbolize the transition to myself by like I'll walk upstairs and I'll wash the mug. I'll put it upside down to dry and then like I'll go get my kid up and make breakfast. Mm-hmm. Right. And like just the stupid thing of like taking the mug that has the logo. Well, I only use this mug when I'm working. And if I'm not working, I don't have the mug. Does That's that really sense? quite clever. Yeah, it's, I'm writing down. It's a get a stupid mug. thing that just helps me like with the trend because I'm bad at making that transition between like, okay, I'm working, I'm thinking about writing to like, okay, I'm not thinking about writing, I'm thinking about making breakfast for the kids. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So like, I try as much as possible. I'm not like super great at it sometimes, but I try as much as possible to like more and more and more attach like my behavior to objects or to like places like I only work at certain areas in the house and I don't work at other areas uh, you know like I, I I I try not to like goof off at the studio <laughs> you know what I mean mm-hmm. and just work when I'm at the studio like I try it as much as possible just there's a really great another great book I would really recommend that I'll link to is is this great book called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear um, and if I could only recommend two books in terms of if I could recommend three books in terms of like my kind of thinking around these kind of areas of productivity and how to like deal with having a family and so on, 
but also still like get things done. I would recommend like Michael Hyatt, Freedom Focus, James Clear, Atomic Habits, and a guy named Tim Grawl, uh, who also actually writes about book marketing, but in his non-book marketing book, which is called um, Running Down a Dream. Terrible title, but an amazingly well-written uh, book. It's a kind of a self-help productivity book with cliffhangers. Like it's brilliantly done. But like uh, all those books have like the same sort of few things in common. Uh, But the clear book in particular talks a lot about habit formation and like what's the Mm -hmm. science of habit formation and how do you, and basically what he, his, what he boils down to at one level is you have all these cues in your environment and it's very hard to change your habits. (laughs) But one way you can do it is to change the environment. Because mm-hmm. then you, if you move, change the environment, then you don't have any of the, all the cues you built with your old environment now are not as relevant in the new environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're having a hard time, say, you know, getting up and getting to work, um, like I've been having a hard time getting up and working like I used to be able to do because my basement is so messy and I'm doing it in the basement now. So what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to go home uh, later this week. I'm going to rearrange part of the basement so it looks new and looks like a mm-hmm. new environment. And I'll just remove all the cues I have that are distracting me. And That's like, a good idea. They just I'll do things like that. Like I was finding that I was spending too much time looking through my library. So I moved it out of the office. Like I'll do stuff like that, and so like it's always it's a constant struggle because you're always coming up with like new habits, and some of them are good, some of them are not good. Um, but what I found is like just being trying to become really aware of what I'm doing and what I'm not doing, and like how do I engineer like automatic ways to do things, or like just you know I was having a hard time, like I say, with uh, getting in the headspace. Or out of the headspace of like being a working worker bee, and so I just came up with like random external things of like like dumb things like I got this mug, and therefore I'm at work, you know. And it sounds stupid, but like like you, I have like that same sort of issue, and like I find like even if I just make what's called what clear, this is called psychologists will call this an implementation. Um, intention so implementation intention which is as simple as saying Sunday I'm going to take off work and I'll write the word off on my calendar when I'm planning my week mm-hmm. and it sounds dumb and I gotta remember to take the day off so like on Sunday I got, I'll make like an alarm on my phone that says you're off work <laughs> you know like stuff like that but you know just to kind of like what I find my biggest problem, as weird as it sounds, my biggest problem is not like doing something. It's that I don't remember I'm supposed to be doing it. So like I don't remember I'm supposed to be, you know, working on this article, or I don't remember I'm supposed to be taking the day off. So I'll just start working mm-hmm. when when there's free time. But I sh- or, or like I don't remember I'm supposed to just relax and like watch a movie. And like that's what I wanted to do today. I forget what I wanted to do. Like it sounds like that's how out of my head I'll get sometimes. I'll mm-hmm. forget what I hoped to do for fun. Oh, certainly that that's a sign that you are a, an attentive parent because you're attending to many thoughts simultaneously. I'm not sure if that's true, but I'm going to say it is. Well, you know what I mean though, right? Like it, yep. it's that kind of, so I don't know. I just find like, I'll just try to like figure out, I'll try to like as much as possible, like reassess what I'm doing and notice what I'm doing, but it's, it can be hard to do. Um, uh, definitely. 
uh, we're kind of we've been running long, and I appreciate you talking to me because you know really I was just looking at the time. I was like, I don't remember these podcasts being this long. No, but I'll <laughs> split it up into two podcasts, and it'll be even well, that better. Sounds good. So I just I just did like even more. I'm even more productive, Nathan, <laughs> than, than I thought I was. You just doubled your efforts. But does that make sense? Well, like like that's actually a really good example. Like so, I actually have because I'm tired and it's late, I haven't been paying enough attention and I didn't have time to really structure and plan this discussion as much as I might have otherwise. Um, and so, but I've, you know, just like talking to you and it's been nice to talk to you also because we haven't talked talked for a while. Um, so like downside of it is this thing has run a little long, but the upside <laughs> is that, well, I'll just, you know, split the recording somewhere so now I've actually been doubly productive by being like less productive. Does that make you can sense? also do, you can also just cut out a full hour of whatever ramblings I was. But I don't do. have time for that. So let's just I could do that, up, or I could write a book. Right? We, we could we could take a look here, and we can say, "I these are my <laughs> notes." This is the, the way we're going to summarize our conversation. I also have been enjoying it, and it's also been kind of fun to keep a list of what we've been chatting about. First of all, kill everything now. Check. I can't wait. As a way to prioritize what you think is most important in your working and personal life, you're mentioning scheduling things in clumps and finding yourself becoming more efficient because you were doing multiple podcasts, for example, in a row, and then you didn't have to do podcasts for several weeks. Or in my case, I lesson plan the same way. A lesson plan for the whole week, try to get that all done before the week begins, and then I can go back to that uh, that store as the week goes on. That's you really smart. Try doing it for a whole month. Like that would be my challenge to that's, you. That's going to be tough because unfortunately week by week is the best I can do with students, especially young students, because the demands of the class change depending on who's there. Sure. That's but true. I, yeah. But I hear exactly what you're talking about. You said, uh, don't have TV. Uh, I wrote down, cut down on social media, comma, dummy. Uh, <laughs> go find a studio. I actually, I have my, I use my office at work in a similar way, but I like the idea of actually going to another separate place entirely. So get, go get a studio and also get a mug. And by mug, we're talking about those sorts of, you can even say, uh, like I got a custom mm-hmm. mug. It's like from Vistaprint. I put my company cause I'm a company technically speaking. So I put my company logo on it, which I don't do anything. I've got I, it on this mug and on a book somewhere. That's it. So and then and then the mug is is a symbol of, uh, of a way in which you can signal when you are on or off. You can actually trick yourself into thinking that now you are working as opposed to the times in which you are not. And you gave three book recommendations. I wrote them down. I'm going to be looking up, especially that last one, running down the dream. It sounds fantastic. It really but, is. Uh, yeah. And 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 that risk of sounding very much like the Twelve Rules for Life. Uh, let's just say also clean your room. <laughs> <laughs> I Please am cut, so stressed that out, out by that was a uh, bad joke. <laughs> clutter in my house. But, it, you know, yeah, I haven't read that Laws for Life book. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No, so I, I meant over. to just because you and I were talking about this years ago. We, we were planning to read it just, you know, almost as a counterintuitive, you know, Oh, I read it because I wanted to be ideas. able to talk to the alt-right slash possible skinheads in my life and uh it was not worth it yeah i i invest i had i yeah i investigated it and i was like i couldn't i couldn't get past the introduction of it and i was just brutal it was just brutal but um i wanted that, to read it just out, out of curiosity with, just like in lieu of that, don't read the book hang out with women 
they're chaotic, but the chaotic in the good way, like the Dungeons and Dragons way. <laughs> <laughs> What's your uh, best, you know, tip for living life with parents as a parent? Sometimes I, I just I, know that it can defeat you. Like I didn't put out a book for five years, and that's because of a bunch of drama around my kid, uh, and the fact of having kids, and you know all this like family stuff. Like it's a direct, like my kind of lapse in productivity there is a direct result of you know just prioritizing family when it was and not getting writing done because you know it doesn't always work out. You know, I, I, you mentioned that you live in your head. I do as well. I guess this is kind of my parting shot, and I don't know if it's wise, but it's the closest I can get to it. It's at least emotionally honest. Uh, delight in the small things uh, and just, like, really delight in them. So don't brush them off as being, like, funny or cute, but actually enjoy them. Earlier today, my son was around the Christmas tree. We have one of those ornaments. It's actually from the Corpse Bride. Uh, nice. Where you pre- you press the button and then the bride and um, I can't remember the, what's his name the guy with the floppy hair uh, he he plays a, a piano song and my son was dancing to it and I could not stop smiling for the next five minutes and I thought this is what it's about it's about my son dancing recklessly he's only two he doesn't know he looks ridiculous and he doesn't care. Uh, dancing without without restraint to a silly little piano ditty from a plastic Christmas tree ornament. Hmm. There you go. I'm cashed out. <laughs> nice. My uh, funny thing with my kids lately was uh, I, I wish I had been there for this, but I wasn't. But my wife was, you know, she was like taking my kid, my daughter Claire, from this. You know, she was at an appointment. And they were like leaving. They're walking down this hallway. And Claire just out of nowhere, who knows where she got this from, but I know she like points at a room they're walking past. She's like, "Is there evil in that room?" <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "What? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I guess I don't know." Like, where she got that idea? Who knows? Who knows? Is there evil in that room? I'm like, God. chances are. Chances are. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for the time, Jonathan. I really well, thank appreciate you. it. And uh, sorry to take a lot of your time, but the, you know, I'll, uh, I, but and I, I also want to just encourage people to read a very special episode, which is such a great uh, and complicated but very fun uh, book. You said the F word. It's supposed to be fun. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> you can't. It's you know all about poems about Tetris that look like Tetris. You can't go wrong. Hey!